Good to be here this evening with you. My name's Tanner, and uh, really all you'll need is a set of willing ears. If you want an outline, if this is helpful, praise God. If not, you can make an airplane with it and throw it after you're done. Uh, You'll also need one of these. If you don't have one of these, maybe raise your hand and Levi will get you one in the back. If you don't have a Bible, that is, I have one here. You don't need this Bible, you just need a Bible with you, okay? Preferably one in your language. So, outline Bible, willing ears. Listen, it's a word that would go hard. You'd be hard-pressed to go a day without hearing. It consumes the topic of more poems, more songs, more books than anything else. It may be the subject of more sermons, more lectures, and more speeches than any other. Humans are infatuated with the idea of love. We're infatuated with it. It comes up everywhere. In fact, one of the things I remember most about growing up, I don't know if you remember this about growing up, I remember always struggling with the idea of what is love? Like I hear this word all the time, I hear the concept all the time, but I always thought, what is love? It's like something that's squishy, that's hard to really kind of get your fingers on. What is that? One of the reasons I remember that is because I remember getting those surveys that you get passed along and, uh, you know, through media, and you fill it out and start with questions like, what color is your shirt? And they'd be like, what color or what, what's your favorite TV show? And it'd, like, slowly, subtly move into more serious subjects. You know what I'm talking about? Like, who's your crush? And, and then keep moving and, like, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know if that was on there. I just made that up. But it would move into more serious topics. I always remember, it seemed like at the end of every survey, here was the question. What is love. Like, that was the topic. Everybody wanted answers. Give me a definition of love. And I remember reading my friends, you know, because when they pass the survey on to you, then you get their results. I remember reading and thinking, like, oh, that is so deep, bro. Or that is so good. Wow, that girl really knows what love is. I remember thinking they were so deep. And I don't know, because I'm not able to look back on those surveys now, but I suspect that they probably weren't as profound as I thought they were. So I couldn't resurface those, but what I did do is I went on Google and I searched for what is love. As you can imagine, anytime you throw something in Google, (laughs) you get a variety of things. But I just thought I'd write some thoughts down or write some things down from what the world or what people are saying is love is. This is the first one. Love is like an earthquake, unpredictable, a little scary, but when the hard part is over, you realize how lucky you truly are. Love is saying, I feel differently instead of you're wrong. I thought it'd be helpful to have one from somebody about the time that Christ was on earth. So this is Ovid, is his name. He was a Roman poet. It was around the time of Christ. And he said this, Ah me, love cannot be cured by herbs. Even way back then. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but it can't be cured by herbs. Some of you are thinking drugs. I think he meant herbs. Okay, Urban Dictionary, which we all know is an extremely reliable source, <laughs> says this. As you know, they vote to, to say what the most popular, what the best definition is. They said this, nature's way, love is nature's way of tricking people into reproducing. Okay. Barbara Engelis, an American writer, says this. If you aren't good at loving yourself, you'll have a different time, difficult time loving anyone. Since you'll resent the time and energy you give to another person, that you aren't giving to yourself. And I hope we defeated just a little bit that idea last week, but I hope by tonight 
you know that dear Barbara is, is off track there. Okay, here was number two on Urban Dictionary, just because, again, it's such a reliable resource and such a helpful, it's like a step up even from Wikipedia, isn't it? This was the second one, the most spectacular, indescribable, deep, euphoric feeling that someone can have. If you're like Anna and Hans, you know that love is an open door, okay? (laughs) Love is an open door, that's another one. I thought we'd get a religious authority on the subject, so I turned to Mother Teresa. She says, let us always meet one another with a smile, for the smile is the beginning of love. Okay? Some of you, after all this talk about love on campus, in your classrooms, all around, you would agree probably most with Sandra, who says, forget love, I'd rather fall in chocolate. Okay? <laughs> so what is love? The statements, the songs, the poems, the definitions that could go on and on. I mean, I could keep going. There's literally millions of them. So why is, here's the question, why are we so stuck on the subject of love? Why are we as humans so infatuated with this idea of love? I want to suggest it's because we're human. It's because we're human and as such, we're made in the image of our creator as a relational being. So to wonder about this topic, to long to be loved and to give love, that's not a mistake. That's a stamp of the creator on you. And in you. So last week we talked about how last year's series, I know many of you weren't here last year, but some of you were. We talked about last year's series, Alone Together, how that, excuse me, not alone together, Imago Day, and being made in the image of God kind of bled into the idea here, understanding being created in the image of God. We talked about the greatest commandment and how the greatest commandment is actually two commandments blended into one commandment, inseparable commandments. I stopped just short last week of reading this verse. I thought it might be helpful for us. Romans 13, 8-11. Owe to no one, owe no one anything except for to love each other. For the one who loves each other has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law, of God's law, of God's command. Love is the fulfillment. So we know that it is the fulfillment, but that doesn't help us. We've still stopped short of defining and understanding love. To understand love, listen, to really get a grasp and a definition of what love is, we can't go to Frozen. We can't go to the movie Frozen. We can't go to Mother Teresa. We certainly can't go to Urban Dictionary. And I'd submit to you that we can't go to anything else than the source of love for its definition. So that's what we do tonight. Okay, tonight, tonight we will define love and we will learn about how to live love. Tonight we will launch into our first one another. That's our series, Alone Together. We're going to look at the one another's of Scripture. And let me just say at the outset, sometimes I like to define my purpose. So there's just no mystery why we're doing what we're doing tonight. My purpose comes out of it. You don't have to read or turn there. It's just short. I'll read it to you. Here's the purpose tonight. 1 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our teaching, the aim of my teaching tonight is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let me just tell you, I see some exciting things I praise God for happening in the lives of you guys in and around cross. I, I just go to bed excited often. And I think about those things. And what I want to do is I want to fan it. I want to flame. 
I just want to say, you're doing good. Let's keep going. I see the love that you're beginning to understand and show towards one another. Tonight, my aim, the aim of my charge and my teaching is love. The issue is from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So as we look at this one another, there's 50 one another's, over 50 one another's. In the New Testament, by the way, we're starting with love one another. Love one another. Why are we starting with that? Well, for one thing, it's the most frequent. Of the over 50 times it's stated in the New Testament, at least 14 of them say this, love one another. Love one another. Okay? Let me read just two of them. One of them, this first one's kind of our theme verse, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. This is Jesus talking. If you have what? Love. If you have love for one another. Here's another one. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love giving preference to one another in honor. Fourteen of these scattered all throughout the New Testament. Remember we talked about the word alone? Okay, one word in the original language. We translate it two words, one another. Over 50 of those. Fourteen. Fourteen of those are love one another. Think this is important? You bet it's important. You bet it's important. I said five are found in the book we're going to talk about tonight. Five in the short book we're going to talk about tonight. The book we're turning to tonight in your Bible, it's called 1 John. Okay, 1 John. 1 John's all the way at the end of your Bible. So if you have a Bible, it might be easier to go to the book of Revelation and just turn backwards. Okay, it's a small book. It's only five chapters. I remember when I was a fairly new Christian, uh, someone would say 1 John, and I would always go to the Gospel of John. <laughs> I would wonder why they were talking about verses I wasn't reading. So not the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but all the way at the end, same author, 1 John. Okay, that's on page, by the way, if you have one of these, the ones we gave out, it's on page 661 in your ESV Bible, okay? 661. I'm going to turn there as well, and we'll look at it together. So five times in the book of 1 John, we find the phrase, love one another. And get this, three of those times are in the passage we're going to look at tonight. Three love one another's in the passage we're going to look at tonight. But before we look at our passage, I want you to understand why John wrote the book that he wrote, okay? It's really important as we, as we seek to understand scriptures. We want to understand, what, even though the author was inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though this is God writing really through man, what was the Spirit, what was John's purpose in writing this book? And all the way at the last chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. Chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you catch that? It says very clearly, here's why I'm writing to you. Take away all question. I'm writing to you, those of you who know. I want you to know. I want you, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I won't make you raise your hand if you've struggled with the question of whether or not you really know God, because I don't doubt that every hand would go up in here. I tell you, a great place to go is 1 John. You're going to see that theme running through 1 John as we go through it tonight. And the way John seeks to answer the question, do you know him? Like, how can you be sure that you know him? Three things. Kiss oversimplification, but I think it helps. There's three tests that he gives. Three tests. Okay, the first is a moral test or an obedience test. The test is this. If someone says they're a Christ follower, they're going to follow Christ. They're going to obey his commands. Their life is not going to be characterized by sin. It's not going to be characterized by disarray. It's not going to be characterized by darkness. It's going to be characterized by light and obedience. That's the first test. Okay, the second test is this, the truth test or the doctrinal test. 
to know and believe certain things to become a believer, to become a Christ follower. And does that mean you have to memorize certain passages? No. But that does mean that you have to affirm, affirm certain truths about the Bible. For example, that Jesus is the Son of God. They came, bled, and died on a cross. That He was buried and He was resurrected from the dead. So the second test is the truth test. Do you affirm, do you know the truths uh, that you need to know to be saved? Do you, do you believe the things that you need to believe to be saved? The third test is what we're going to look at tonight. This is the love test. The love test or the social test. Okay? So why don't you read with me 1 John 4, starting in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time here tonight. 1 John 4, 7-11. through 11. 1 John 4, 7-11. through 11. And while you're in 1 John, I want you to understand the context or the, the data around the things that are happening around verses 7-11. through 11. So what immediately precedes the verses we're looking at are verses obviously 1-6. through 6. What are those verses about? Those verses are about the doctrinal or the truth test that I just talked about. You guys know what discernment is? Yeah? Those verses are about discernment. Okay? It talks about testing the spirits. It talks about how we shouldn't just believe everything that we hear, but we should put things to the test. And at Cross Life here, we encourage discernment. We want you to test things. We want you to know truth. You ought to test the things that you hear on campus, in church, in Christian groups. Verses 1-6 through six of this chapter address the importance of this topic as it relates to false truth or heresy. Okay? It's extremely, extremely important. But, listen, listen here. John anticipates that those of us who love truth, those of us who love discernment, those of us who enjoy the truths of Scripture, and I'm one of them, he anticipates this, that sometimes we love truth so much that we don't see the rest of Scripture, that we are abrasive with the truth. Okay, so John anticipates how easy it is for you and I who have a desire to be accurate in discerning to be harsh and intolerant with others. Isn't that true? It is. I don't like that about myself, but that's true. Sometimes I have a, I have a ability, or a, not an ability, I have a propensity to be harsh and, and unloving towards others. And John anticipates this, and I want to hit this nail on the head right of the way, right away, right at the beginning of this, because a lack of love for others, when it runs loose, because of disagreements, because we think that people aren't lovable, there's no rest. It's a bad, bad thing. So John anticipates this, this test, this good thing, this call for discernment, 1 through 6, and he follows it by the verses that we're looking at. It's not okay to love truth and be, to be abrasive with it. So John, for the third time, for the third time in this epistle, he circles around to the topic of love. The first time is in 
second, uh, the second chapter, verses 9 through 11. We looked at that last week. Uh, the second time is in chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. That's the leading up to chapter 4, right where we were. The, the fourth time is in chapter 4, verse 12. And in 2 John, the book that follows this, he addresses it in verse 5 of chapter 1. And then four times, four times in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of John, he addresses it there. What's the deal with John? You ever wonder about that? As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the data and how much John talks about love. I was thinking, like, what's up with John? Why is he so enraptured? Why is he so consumed with love? I suppose he was always that way. Do you suppose, like, he was just predisposed to love? And John wasn't. Let me tell you, if anyone wasn't, John wasn't. Okay? If you look as we trace John through the Gospels, the disciple who eventually got to be called the Gospel of Love, or excuse me, not the Gospel, the Disciple of Love, he was a harsh man. In fact, his nickname, him and his brother's nicknames, John and James, they were called the Sons of Thunder. You get that? I mean, that's like a wrestling name. No one wants to be called the Sons of Thunder. I'm, I imagine John going around and meeting someone and James or, or one of the other disciples introducing him as the Son of Thunder. That's not a nickname you probably want. It's like a tag team in UFC wrestling or something, Sons of Thunder. It's not a nickname you would want. In fact, the only time we see John alone in the Gospels is in Mark 9, he's angry at someone. John was not, by nature, an apostle or a disciple of love, a loving person. So what happened? What happened? God happened. Love happened. Verse 7, love's source. We'll start with love's source. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So John starts this section with our one another. He tells us to love. Love one another. You might wonder, if you're like me, why does he have to tell us to love one another? Well, the answer is because if we were to be honest, loving each other is just not always an easy thing to do, is it? Now, to be quite frank, at least as the Bible describes love, love isn't always an easy thing to practice and to accomplish. In fact, if you're within earshot, whether sitting in the seats here tonight or listening to this on recording sometime, the fact is that you probably, not probably, you have a difficult time loving some people. The fact is you may be very difficult to love. The fact is I... Don't doubt that I've made it very difficult for some of you to practice this commandment towards me, to love one another. I don't know if you've ever heard the poem I stumbled across this week. It says, To dwell there above with those that we love, that will be glory. To dwell here below with those that we know, that's another story. That's the reality, isn't it? Sometimes it's just not easy to love people. We can be self-centered, self-satisfied, selfish, self-absorbed and insensitive. I could go on. We're just not that easy to love. We're hard creatures to love, but we are enabled to love why? Why does it say? Reason one, love is from God. That's why we can love. That's why He commands us to love because love is from God. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is the source of love and God could have made us without the capacity or the ability to experience and practice love? He could have wired us, if you will, with a different M.O. God could have easily made it another way. But in His generous wisdom and in His love, He did not. 
God is love's source. Not in the sense that a mailman is the source of a letter that you get in the mail. Not in that sense, or even the person who wrote it to you. God is love's source in the sense that light is the sun is the source of light, in the sense that, that fire is the source of heat. God is the source of love. He is the giver of love. He is the source of love. Whoever loves, whoever loves with the kind of love that we're talking about here has been born of God. Notice it doesn't say everyone who's kind or everyone who's nice. It says everyone who loves, loves. We still haven't defined love, and we're going to work to do that as we go throughout this, but many of you probably recognize the word here in the language is the word agape. You probably heard it before, the word agape, love. And I counted, by my count, the noun or the verb form of this word, catch this, is used 13 times here in just five verses. This is just dripping. It's heavy with the idea of love. A self-sacrificing, self-effacing kind of love. A love that gives. A love that gives of itself. That's reason number one. Reason number two is this. We love because we're born of God. That's language to describe a believer. Do you know that if you're a Christian, one of the things that you're able to do, one of the things that you're able to do because you're a Christian is love? You might want to look and ask yourself, is there a pattern of love in your life? Or is this just a foreign concept to you? Are you really good at loving yourself, but you're not practicing love towards other people? The fact that some is able to do this is evidence that they have been reborn of God and have God's Spirit enabling them to obey and love others. Did you get that? I want you to understand the proper chronology, the proper sequence here. I think it's really easy for me, based on last week, we just talked about the two greatest commandments. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you're thinking, love, love, love. i got to love. i gotta, I got to love. And you do. That's the commandment. But I want you to notice something about the text. Why does it say we love? How does it say we love? We love because God is the source of love. We love because we're born of God. Do we love to be born of God? No, no, no. No, if you mix that up, if you get so focused on yourself, trying to remember why we have the law, we looked at the law last week so you would see your inability to properly fulfill the law so you would rely on Christ to fulfill the law for you. So if you get caught up and say, oh, I just got to love, I just got to love so I can become a Christian. No, you're backwards. And that will leave you heavy and downcast. What you need to do is follow Christ. What you need to do is repent and believe. Then you will be divinely enabled to love God. Get the chronology right. Don't mix that up. That is so important. That's so important. If you walked away with that mixed up tonight, it'll all be for naught. Okay. But the fact is that some people, the fact is that some people don't know God and they don't love. It's one of the marks of a true believer. In fact, that's what verse 8 says. This is love defined. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. It's so black and white. And if I were to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons I love 1 John. Because my head is pretty thick and I like things that are black and white. And John is just so black and white. If you love with this kind of love, habitually you're born of God. If you don't, watch out. You don't know God. You're not born of God. You do not know God. If you look just a chapter earlier in verse 14, he basically says the same thing again. He says that we know that we have passed out of death and into life. How? Because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. Do you see how important this is? Do you see what an important test this is? I just love how black and white this is. Christians should be known not primarily, listen, not primarily for the way you dress, not primarily for some ordinance you do, not primarily for the way you walk, not for your unusual habits, but because of your love. The people know you're a Christian because you're love. Do you realize that should just be one of the founding, that should be one of the overriding principles when people meet you, they just go, what is up with this dude? What is up with this girl? She just loves me. She just cares for me, even when I'm mean to her. Even when he's mean to me. He loves me. And remember, there's two other tests. There's the test of truth and the test of obedience. They, they combine. The, we don't want to leave those out. We want to see a full test here. But I, I want you to realize that this is a test of a believer. Do you love? If you do, it's evidence that you've been born of God. And if you don't, John could not be more clear. If you don't love, you do not know God. But there's something else magnificent. There's something else wonderful in this verse. Did you catch it? It's this. God is love. Three words. God is love. Surely this is one of the most well-known passages, one of the most well-known truths in Scripture, isn't it? At least one of the most well-stated. At least one of the most uh, well-articulated. God is love. I'm glad it's one of the most well-known, but let me also tell you, it's probably also one of the least understood. It's one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. I remember witnessing to a guy this summer who I was fixing fence with, and we were talking. I was just talking and sharing my testimony with him about God, how God brought me out of darkness and into light. And he says, I don't know much about much. I don't know much about what you're talking about this or what you're talking about, but this I do know, that God is love. He's talked about that, what he meant by that. And what he meant by that, friend, is not the biblical sense that God is love. What he meant by that is that God is love, and he is exclusively love, and he is nothing else. He is love to the exclusion of everything else that God is. And we can't do that. I want you to understand that you can't divide God. God is indivisible. He's whole and complete. Last year we talked about how the attributes of God are kind of like flowers on a flower petal. You don't pluck them off and you don't hold them up and go, wow, that's an incredible petal. No, you look at the whole picture of the flower and you go, wow, God. And what is an essential attribute? What is an essential thing of that flower? It's this, God is love. And when you look at this, holistically, when you look at this in light of every other attribute, when you look at this in light of what Scripture teaches about God, oh, this is a wonderful thing. What a good truth. I love this truth. What a good thing that God is love. What a good thing. In fact, the only frustrating thing about this to me is trying to describe it. I just feel like I want to read the verse over and over to you because it I try to come up with words or ways to describe this. It's just, I'll be honest, it's kind of frustrating. God is love. We have what Scripture tells us. God is love. I was helped by this. I was helped by this. I was looking through some old material that I'd read on love, and one of them was from a book called Knowledge of the Holy. It's written by A.W. Tozer in his chapter on love, which, by the way, I don't mean this is an affront against Tozer, even though he's not alive anymore. I think it's his weakest chapter. 
because I just think it's so hard to describe the love of God. I think it's so hard to put it into words, but I was helped by this. And it's still a good chapter. He says, from God's other known attributes, we may learn much about His love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, His love had no beginning. Because He is eternal, His love can have no end. Because He is infinite, it has no limit. Because He is holy, it is the quintessence. That's the most pure or perfect example of something, of all spotless purity. Because He is immense, His love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea, before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats, confused and abashed. That's far better than I could say. We learn much about God by looking at God's, all of God's attributes. We learn much about His love. So friends, listen, don't let, don't let the common misinterpretation, don't let the common misunderstanding of this verse and of this terminology rob you of its beauty. This is a good word. This is a good truth. We find other summary statements about God in Scripture. Only rarely, only rarely do we see a summary statement like this one. And when we do, we ought to pay special attention to it. God is love. This verse doesn't just tell us that God loves, but that He is love. He is who He is. And He is in His character and being and nature, love. This has to be, again, just it's such a difficult thing to describe, but God is love. And I just beg, I beg of you to listen. Listen to Scripture. See what it says about God being love. And by the way, love isn't squishy. It's not weak. It's, it's not petty. Love is full and it's robust. And God is love in the very fullest sense of the word. He defines it. He lives it. In verse 9, tells us He shows it. This is love shown. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. It's one thing to say you are something. It's one thing to say you are something, but it's entirely another thing to show and demonstrate that. And that's exactly what God does. God shows or manifests His love. In fact, anyone... Does anyone here have the idea, uh, just a guess, how many times in Scripture we see the phrase from God or, or the language from God saying to His people, I love you? Do have a guess? I don't, don't answer because I don't want to embarrass you. The answer is zero. Okay? And chances are you wouldn't have said zero. Zero times in Scripture do we see God say to someone or to His people, I love you. Instead, what he does over and over and over again is he demonstrates it. He shows it. He affirms it through his actions. And make no mistake, it talks about how God loves his people. But we don't say him directly say, I love you. Why? Because he just shows it. He demonstrates it. Christ's life, death, resurrection, and substitution are clear, evident, visible, marked ways that God says, I am love and I love you. The overtones of the Bible's most well-known verse are unmistakable, isn't it? As I was reading this over and over again, as I was studying, I just kept thinking of John 3.16. God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not come into destruction, but shall have everlasting life. That's love. It's good demonstration of love. The overtones of the Bible... The, the overtones of love through Scripture, God's love to believers, even to unbelievers, 
They're heavy. They're everywhere. When Christ came into the world, listen, when Christ came into the world, he left the place that I'm waiting to go, that all of us are waiting to go. He left it. Sometimes we use the language we say that Christ condescended to us. He left the glories of heaven, the worship, the communion with God the Father and God the Spirit they had had from all of eternity's past, and he condescended. He came into this world, and he was clothed in rags. And he bore the punishment. He bore the penalty that you and I deserve. That is love, friend. Far better than just saying, I love you. God showed it. Verse 10 is love defined. Love defined. This is what we've been waiting to have a good definition of love. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. All other stories, all other songs and poems and quotes and, and games, they're just dust compared to this. This definition that God gives us of love is love. We don't need Urban Dictionary. We don't need Mother Teresa. What the Bible gives us is a clear and perfect picture of love. This is the love. This is the supreme example of love. This is the supreme display of love. This love. This is love. Not that God chooses someone who's super lovable and kind and, and, and nice and easy to love. But He loved us while we were still enemies, while we were so unlovable. God should have, He could have crushed us and He chose to love us while we were unlovable. Romans 5, 6-8 helps us. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us. That while we were still what? Say it. Sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We hear about the heroic things in war and in uh, police work and all these things. And make no mistake, those are heroic things about jumping on a grenade for a friend or for a battalion. Heroic things. But this is so far beyond. This is like jumping on a grenade for your enemy. You heard, you've seen the horrific things that ISIS uh, is doing overseas. Horrific things. This is like jumping on a grenade for some of those guys. Enemies. Wicked people we are. And God loved us while we were in that state. He didn't make us lovable. He loved us while we were unlovable. This is love. The brevity of words, the, the frustration, the limitation of language is obvious here. This is love. Short and sweet. God is love. And He showed His love. Showed His love by sending His Son. Romans 5.10 talks about how we're enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's any and all of us before Christ. Unlovable creatures. <laughs> I mean, just in the most robust sense of it. I know I was not a lovable guy. And yet God loved me. This word propitiation that we find in this verse is an important one. It deals with the satisfaction of a holy and a terrible anger. God is angry towards sin. He is angry towards sin every day. God's wrath, His anger, it's a fair anger. It would be fair and just of Him to squash us, to send us to hell. But in order to satisfy the wrath of God, 
There had to be one who would provide that propitiation. There had to be one who would stand in that place. And as the example of love, Christ did that. You know what's so unusual about propitiation? It's that God took the work of propitiation upon Himself. He provided the sacrifice. He Himself is the sacrifice. This is love. This is love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. That He loved us, even while we weren't lovable. Let's look at love lived. Verse 11, love lived. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You say, I thought this was about one another's of Scripture. It is. But before we could understand the one another here, we needed to understand that this one another of loving one another flows from God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. There's only one logical conclusion. There's only one reasonable thing There's only one thing to do after the magnificence of these truths, and that's to love one another. He did it. Now, as His people, we, His image bearers, His children, how can we do anything different but love one another? How can we do anything different but lay aside our own desires and with a deep, a strong, a self-sacrificing love, love one another, extend love to one another? How can we do anything else? In the verses preceding the ones we just covered where Paul, Paul's the author of a book called Romans, another book in the New Testament, he builds on, on the evidences or the fruit of salvation. He says this in Romans 5.5, 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The love of God has been poured out. It's been shed abroad. It's been given to us in our hearts. It's been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. As I think about this imagery, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about pouring it out on others. Just pouring it out on them, even when they're rude and mean and unlovable. Because let's face it, a lot of us are oftentimes unlovable. I was thinking about a time when I was a kid, and I'm not proud of this story by the least. I just use it as an illustration. I was a little kid, and I was at a track meet in my hometown. I was wrestling with this other kid, and I was beating up this other kid. And this lady came from our community, and like I expected her to be super ticked off, and probably she should have been. Probably she should have spanked me or done something anyway. But I remember she was so nice to me. She wasn't just nice, she loved me. And I thought, like, that is not how I expected her to respond. When I was unlovable, she like, it was like she came over and was like, here, and dumped a whole like, bucket of love on me. I was overwhelmed. I remember thinking, why'd she do that? She did because this lady's a believer. She's a follower of God and the love of Christ has been poured out into her heart. Believers, those of you here who follow Christ, we we have to love one another. We have to just dump it on people. Just unleash it. 2 Corinthians 5.14 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. This is verse 15. Might no longer, not that you should live for yourself anymore, but live for the one who for their sakes died and was raised. Did you catch that? This is holy ambition. To put it in two words, this is, I think, the holiest ambition, one of the holiest ambitions that you can have. The love of Christ compels you. Some versions say constrains you, pushes you. 
the love of Christ, understanding these truths, it should just like, it should push us along. We dump this love out on other people. The love of Christ ought to compel us, constrain us, control us. This is where I think the one and others bring us back. Back to the character of man and back to the character of God. Let's look at love perfected. Love perfected. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. God is seen and experienced not in sight. Not in sight. That would kill us. But God is experienced and He's seen in the love that we show to others. This is an incredible concept, by the way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. If you're obedient to the command to love one another in a serious, self-depriving, self-sacrificing way, God's love is perfected or it's mature or it's completed in you. I'll never forget a sermon I heard long ago in a book of the Bible called Philippians. Or Pastor Brian, the teaching pastor here, he said this. I wrote it, it's just stuck in my mind. Wherever I think I might be growing and getting to a place of maturity, I think about this. He says, spiritual maturity is measured in love. Spiritual maturity is measured in love. So how are you doing? How are you doing with spiritual maturity? How are you doing with love? God makes it clear in His Word that we love ourselves plenty. I'm plenty good at that. I take good enough care of myself. I love myself plenty. I need to love others. I need to love one another. If you don't love people naturally, if you're hearing this tonight and you're going, well, I'm going to have to work at this. Join the club. I mean, me too. I pray about this. My wife, we're gonna, we pray about this a lot. Lord, help us to love with this kind of love. It's a frequent prayer of ours. Why? Because I'm not naturally good at this. Now the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. I've been born of Him. I'm enabled to love. I will love because I'm a believer. But this doesn't come natural. Paul, excuse me, John, the author of this book, he has to exhort us, love one another. Three times. Love one another. So we have to work at this, don't we? I love that about the one another's. We have to work at them. This is on your sheet under reflection. What would your friends say? What would your parents say? What would your boyfriend or your girlfriend or what would your coach or your teacher or your RA, fill in the blank, what would they say? How would they say you're doing it loving them? Would they say, oh yeah, fill in the blank. Man, Mark, he is such a loving guy. He's such, he just, when I ask him to do something, even if he's got his own agenda, he's just very self-sacrificing. He loves me. I wonder if there's something different about that guy. I wonder where he got that kind of love. How would people around you say that you're doing in this? If you don't know, if you're like, I have no clue, Tanner, maybe a good place to start would just be to ask some of them and ask them to be honest. Maybe in your community groups this week, you could ask your community group members, your Bible study members, hey, how am I doing uh, at loving you? Maybe what are some ways that I could love you better? What are some ways that I could show love to you? better. This is my prayer. This is my prayer for you and for me. Philippians 1.9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Do you see how it all comes full circle? Do you see how these things are indivisible, truth and love? 
Love isn't some silly sentiment. It's a whole, robust body, mind, and spirit, intellect, emotion, volition. It's a kind of giving to one another. This is love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know God's love? Do you know it? Not know about it, but do you know it? Do you live God's love to one another? Now, you will if you're a believer because you've been born again. God has, God has enabled you to love, but we still have to work at loving one another. Again, we've covered a lot of territory, so in summary on your sheet, I just wrote some things there. One, the world's attempt, things that we know after tonight at the very minimum, the world's attempt to define, live, and experience love Ultimately, it falls eternally short, doesn't it? I mean, when you hold those definitions, and again, I realize those, some of those aren't the most profound definitions, but as you hold those up against God's definition of love, don't they just fall incredibly short? I'm not trying to be rude here, but don't they look pathetic? God's love is so robust, so full, everyone grasping it. What is love? Like it's this thing that's just beyond our reach, and God says, this is love. He defines it for us. Number two, God is love. God is love's source and God is love's provider. That's number three, God is love. God's, number two is God's love. God is love's source and provider. Number four, if you're a follower of Him, you're, you will represent Him in this way. Again, don't mix the chronology up here. Don't get this all mixed around in your mind and think, gosh, i got to obey these commandments so I can become a follower of Christ. No. That's going to leave you high and dry. He draws, you need to be born again in Christ so you can love God and you can love other people. What if, again, I just have this picture. i got to share. What if, what if some stranger, I know many of you, this is your first time across life. What if you walked in here? What if you brought a friend next week with you and you asked them what it was like afterwards and you were just like, those people are weird. They love me a lot. Like I've never seen a group just care about me. If they wanted to, they could have a bad attitude and say no one, maybe no one reached it, or maybe no one did talk to them. But what if, what if when people came here, just like, there's a profound difference, profound difference in the followers of Christ. They love one another. They love one another. Oh, that we would be a body like that. I just want to, I want to take that fan and fan into flame those good things that I see in your life. I want to see more of them. I want to see them grow into maturity and fullness and completeness. Let's pray together. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you might grant to us to strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.